these last two chapters of Acts, chapters 27 and 28, Luke reveals again Paul as the faithful minister of Jesus, faithful to the gospel, faithful despite opposition. And in these chapters, Paul undertakes one of the great and most daring voyages throughout the whole of Acts. And the way that Luke describes what's about to unfold is filled with great dramatic nautical details. And um, what drives the whole agenda is for Luke to get his great hero to come to the divinely predicted destination of Rome, to the ends of the earth. So Paul resolves to do this despite all the difficulties that he encounters. What we will see in the chapters that are unfolding, Paul's determination, his ability to negotiate with his, uh, his, uh, the people that surround him, even, uh, even the centurions, even the Roman, the Roman uh, military. And he does this attesting uh, his fidelity to God. And when finally Paul comes to the last part of his journey into Rome, where he, he, will, he will talk with the Jewish leaders, he explains his situation. And it's in the last two verses, as we shall see, in those two verses, the whole summary of Acts occurs with who Paul is and what his mission is about. In chapter 27, the journey begins, uh, and they decide to sail for Italy, where Paul is to be delivered with other prisoners under, centurion, under a centurion escort who na who's named as Julius. So they embark on a ship, and they put to sea. Um, we're told that one of their companions was Aristarchus. We also note that Luke uses the we, that is to say, we sail, we should sail. So in verse 3, they sail to Sidon. Uh, Julius, we're told, treats Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. Then sailing forward, sailing onwards, they sail under the lee of Cyprus uh, because the winds are against them or against us, as Luke says. Uh, and then they sailed across the sea of uh, Cilicia and Pamphylia, and they came to Myra in Lycia, which is on the southern part of Asia Minor. So in these very brief moments of description, the listener finds an echo, of course, a memory of what uh, the missionary endeavours of Paul have already been. So in Myra they find another ship which had been sailing from Alexandria to Italy. So they're put on board that ship and they sail for a number of days, arriving, says Luke, with difficulty off Gnidus, uh, and the wind wouldn't allow them to go forward. So they sail under the lee of Crete of Salomone. As they coast along, they came to fair heavens near uh, the city of La, La Cie. So we already are sensing that this is a wonderful <laughs> adventure 
certainly Luke is familiar with the coastal arrangements, the navigational uh, elements that would make this a quite a novelistic part of the book of Acts, but it's yet to get more dramatic. So as time is being lost where they are at Lycia, uh, Paul tells them not to hurry because he, he, he senses that um, if they voyage on, not only the cargo, but the ship and also their lives could be lost. However, the centurion doesn't listen to Paul, but pays more attention to the captain and the owner of the ship. So uh, insight or intelligence doesn't win out, but rather the, the authorities that are running this whole navigational shipping industry win out. And as we discover, they win out, but they really don't win. So uh, they set f they set sail, uh, and from where they were, they finally uh, desire to reach Phoenix, a harbour in Crete, which looks towards the northeast and the southeast, and therefore they are harboured uh, and they spend winter winter there. Of course, because the ship are dependent on the direction of the wind. When uh, a south wind comes up, uh, they saw this as their opportunity to set sail from Crete. But as soon as they do that, Luke notes how in verse 14, a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the island. And so the, wind, uh, the ship is caught uh, and uh, couldn't face the wind because it was so strong, they gave way to it and were driven, says Luke. So running under the lee of a small island called Corda, they managed to secure the boat. Uh, and uh, they hoisted up, they undergird the ship, and uh, fearing that they would run on the Syrtis, they lowered the gear, and so they were driven, says Paul. I mean, it's a, it's a beautifully constructed novel a sea voyaging novel from this Christian piece of writing of the late first century. In 18, Luke says, we were violently stormed, tossed, uh, and they began to throw the cargo overboard in order that they might be saved. On the third day, um, they cast out even the tackle of the ship, and neither sin, uh, stars or sun appeared for many days so it's dire what's happening is dire and and they and Paul recognizes that they had been without food they hadn't eaten and so Paul says quite caringly men he says you should have listened to me and should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss I now bid you take heart for there will be no loss of life among you but only of the ship for this very night there stood by me, he says, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship, and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So said Paul, Take heart, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told and we shall have to run onto some island. So Paul recognises the situation, but also recognises the presence of God in the midst of this very serious situation, 
a theme we've already seen constantly throughout Acts, when Paul is in a very difficult situation, Luke's portrait of Paul constantly comes, brings him back to a faith, a faithful position that recognizes his relationship to God, that strengthens him in situations that seem quite dire. And here is another example of that. So, as it turns out, Paul's prediction comes about. Uh, the, the boat drifts across the Sea of Adria. After midnight, they, the sailors begin to recognize that their, the depth soundings were becoming less, from 20 to 15 fathoms. And uh, they recognized or feared that they're going to run on the rocks. Uh, and they put their anchors from the stern, prayed the day would come. And as the soldiers, in verse 30, were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the boat into the sea, under the pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion, remember, Julius, and he had his entourage, his soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and let it go. So it's Paul's uh, conviction. Salvation comes through the community, not individually. And as the, the day was about to break, Paul urges them to take food. Uh, and they can't continue, he says, without food, having taken nothing, he says. So he, he urges them to eat, to give them strength. And he says, since not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. Uh, a word that, of course, comes out of the Gospels that we would be familiar with. So they took bread, they gave thanks to God in the presence of all, and Paul breaks the bread and they begin to eat. Uh, a kind of an echo one could think of of the Eucharist. So they were all encouraged, they ate food for themselves, we're told that there are 206, 30, 276 persons in the ship. And then in verse 38, in uh, chapter 27, when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Even granting all this the following day, the vessel finally does run aground. In the verses that lead from 39 to 40, it's quite a... Uh, a dramatic uh, nautical venture that occurs. Uh, we're told how the soldiers were planning to kill the prisoners lest any should escape, but the centurion wishing to save Paul kept them from carrying out their purpose. So there is this uh, desire to save life. And he, he orders those who could swim to throw themselves overboard first and make for the land. And then the rest came on planks or on pieces of the ship and so it was that all escaped to land. So despite the shipwreck, all are able to be saved. So we pick up the narrative now in chapter 28, when they come to Malta. The natives, we're told, are, are, uh, show their kindness to them. They, they have a fire, they welcome them. Uh, they bring them uh, out of the rain and the cold. Uh, we're told how Paul, as he was gathering uh, firewood, gets bitten by a viper. 
which doesn't, uh, which hangs onto his uh, hand uh, as Paul releases it. Um, they they think that he is some kind of magical or mis mystery person. They even say that perhaps he's a murderer who's escaped through the sea and now justice has been done to him. But Paul shakes off the viper into the fire and he's not harmed and uh, they're waiting for something bad to occur to him and it doesn't and they change their minds and they say that he's a god. A scene we've seen before in another part of the Mediterranean world where Paul and his companions are treated like Hermes or one of the gods and Paul himself rejects that. They discover that in the neighbourhood where they had landed is the chieftain of the island named Publius who receives them and entertains them hospitably. And it also happens that Publius's father is sick with a fever with dysentery. So Paul visits and prays, places his hand on him and heals him. Once more again in a foreign land the gospel is being proclaimed through action through Paul's deed of healing. In other words, the presence of the ascended, the risen and the ascended Jesus still acts amongst the followers of Jesus and again through Paul. And uh, because of this, other people come wanting their diseases and uh, uh, illnesses healed and cured. And as a result of all that, they're presented with many gifts. And uh, when we sailed, says Luke, they put on board whatever we needed. So their generosity, which frames this whole scene the, of the Maltese natives, the generosity of the Maltese natives is affirmed. So takes place the next part of this very fascinating voyage. After wintering there for three months, they finally set sail for Syracuse, where they stay for three days, in verse 12 of chapter 28, and then they head towards Regium. Then further on, on a second day, they came to Puteoli, where they find uh, members of the Jesus movement, where they're invited to stay with them for seven days. So they have now arrived in Italy. And then Luke says in the end of the last part of verse 14 of chapter 28, and so we came to Rome. They have finally arrived at the end of the voyage. They've come to Italy, they've walked over land along the Via, Appa, Appa, uh, the Via Appia and have come to Rome. So the brothers and the sisters, the followers of Jesus in Italy, had heard that they had arrived, met them at the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns, and they thanked God for the courage that uh, Paul had shown and the courage that he had shown to them. Paul comes into Rome, and uh, although he's allowed to stay by himself, he's still under guard. So the house arrest will continue. After three days, Paul calls together the local Jewish leaders. 
and then gives a snapshot, a summary snapshot of what, of what had happened, particularly in a spirit of an apologia. He reminds them or lets them know how he'd been examined by Jewish leaders who had considered him uh, to be unfaithful to his Jewish heritage and uh, tells them how he wanted to appeal to Caesar for justice. And for this reason, he says in verse 20, I have asked to see you and speak with you since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. In a sense, that verse, those words, because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain, is in fact a summary of what the book of Acts. It's the hope of Israel that the whole story of the gospel went forth from Jerusalem. The hope of Israel and it has meant for Paul his own suffering. And it reflects to Luke's own quandary as to why most of the Jewish people didn't become followers of Jesus. Paul is told by these Jewish leaders that they've received nothing from Judea about him. There's been no reports from their community of any evil spoken against him. So there's an openness amongst them and that desire to hear from him what his views are. So uh, they appointed a day when he would come, uh, when they would come to his lodgings in great numbers. And in that context, in his lodging within the domestic setting, Paul unveils from morning till evening, revealing his own affirmation uh, of the kingdom of God and arguing how Jesus himself is in communion or in harmony. The, the story of Jesus is in harmony with the Torah of Moses and the prophets. So it's not an uh, it's it's not a rejection of Judaism, but it's a an advance one could one would understand this to be from Paul that the story of Jesus, who Jesus is, is in complete harmony with the story of Israel. Some are convinced and others disbelieve. Uh, not an unusual pattern of reaction to Paul's uh, preaching in the book of Acts. So, as they disagreed among themselves, they departed, and then Paul makes this statement the final words of Paul in the whole book of Acts. And it's worth actually hearing this, uh, these words because it does sum up some way, in many ways, both um, the theological underpinning of why, uh, why the mission is both partially successful and partially unsuccessful. Uh, unsuccessful. And it does go back to the story, uh, the parable story, the first parable story, the parable that Jesus preaches about the scattered seed. And in the interpretation of, of that passage, Luke brings forward a text from Isaiah. That same text gets repeated here. So uh, as one looks over from the parables of Jesus in the gospel, the earlier chapters of the gospel, Right through now towards the end of Luke's second volume, Luke brings forward a biblical reflection 
as Luke did in the story of the parable, parable of Jesus, tr trying to understand what, it, what has occurred and seeking to sum up Paul's own mission. This is what Paul says in verse 25. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You shall indeed hear but never understand, and you shall indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and they have shut their eyes, so that they might not look with their eyes, and listen with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Let it be known to you then that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. These are the final words of Paul in Acts. So it's an affirmation of the mission to the Gentiles, the fact that it's been rejected by the Jewish leadership and most of the Jewish people. At least this is the way that Luke's perceiving it. And Luke in that quandary has Paul as the spokesperson of a theological mission to the Gentiles, the, the final words that Paul speaks. And so we come to the last two verses in Acts, in verses 30 and 31. And Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense. He welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom, the Basilia of God, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ quite openly and unhindered. This is a very important verse. because these, these are two very important verses. First of all, it reveals the domestic context where the preaching of the gospel is going to continue into the future. Secondly, it shows how Paul himself is generous. He doesn't rely upon others, but he lives at his own expense, says Luke. He's hospitable. He welcomes those that come to him. And the focus of what he talks about is exactly the same focus of what Jesus does in the gospel. Paul preaches the kingdom of God. And as a faithful disciple of Jesus, he teaches about Jesus. And the last, the last image we have of Paul preaching is he, he preaches openly. And the last word in the whole text is unhindered. In Greek, ekolotos the sense that the mission of God is going to continue unhindered even though there are times going to be moments where there is attempt to hinder the preaching of Jesus and the kingdom. So that last word unhindered is, an, is a note of hope for the future, the future of the Jesus movement as it moves through history and it moves into different cultures. As we look back on these final two chapters of the Acts of the Apostles, as Paul undertakes his final journey, this time to Rome, these chapters are very important. They bring Paul to his geographical end point towards which everything in Acts has been working. If we go back to the very beginning in the first chapter, Jesus reminded his disciples that they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, 
in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, we've now come to the ends of the earth, to earth's end. But is it earth's end? Is it the end of the journey? Is it the earth of end? Well, it would appear that when we look back at the last two verses of the, of the Acts of the Apostles, the last two verses that complete Luke's works, the ends of the earth are yet to be missioned. Paul concludes his time uh, preaching at home in his domestic centre openly and unhindered, quite freely. We also note how the vessels Paul journeys on, we note the companions that travel with him, we note the locations of harbours, we note how there seems to be an intimate knowledge which the author of Acts has of the maritime movement around uh, the Mediterranean. This might reflect, of course, Luke's own historical memory of Paul's travels because he does talk about himself as a participant in the narrative. Or perhaps he was aware of the classic novels of uh, ancient voyages and ship shipwrecks which get incorporated into this final voyage which Paul makes. Nevertheless, what, we know, what we've noticed is the way that Paul encourages tra his travelling companions despite the fact that the vessels in one of them is storm-tossed. We note how um, twice as he accompanies uh, his comp companions on the voyages uh, and despite the danger how he wants them to share table communion through food. Uh, in one case um, this food is almost like the Eucharist. It gives them strength. We also know how um, when they finally are caught up in the shipwreck, shipwreck they, they do eventually get saved. We also note hospitality themes, particularly from the people of Malta, the natives of Malta. And so the final point is um, Earth's End, which is the thing I started with in this final summary. Luke brings Paul to Rome. Again, I don't think this is the end of the story. Earth's End might be regarded as the city of Rome to which Paul finally arrives and preaches with boldness and without hindrance in verse 31. However, everything associated with the earth becomes marginal and certainly fragile. There's a, almost an ecological theme here. Earth's End, they come, Paul comes to Earth's End an end that is fragile and needs care. So if we go back to the original injunction by the risen and ascended Jesus in chapter one, verse eight, to witness to earth's end, this continues, I think, to be an invitation to live with an awareness of earth's end, what will bring earth to its end and to its completion. So there's an environmental awareness and an ecological asceticism that we are being asked to reflect on as listeners to this wonderful, wonderful story that Luke has marshalled around hero figures like the Twelve, uh, like Peter and Philip, 
like uh, Stephen and certainly with Paul. We give thanks for this great story and its promise of the future of God's presence despite the difficulties, the tensions and the sufferings that could surround us in every age.